Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. I think the listeners know that I don't talk about geopolitics in general unless it affects Israel. Right now, the Biden administration is taking a tough stance because it's trying to rehabilitate the stature of the United States in general after the public relations debacle in the Afghanistan withdrawal earlier this year. Also, the Russians are trying to undermine the position of America as a power and is changing the military, geopolitical, economic, and other aspects of the world. And it's trying to push back American predominance since the end of the Second World War. That, and so that what's happening in Ukraine will affect Israel. There is still a possibility this week of a route out of this crisis diplomatically, and there's some signs of this at the moment. But that would also depend on a perception of whose prestige has been more damaged, the U.S. or Russia. Isn't ju- Israel isn't just an onlooker, not really being a play- player in the global arena, except on matters that affect us directly. It has un- unambiguously identified with the American position since the Second World War. But it is, Israel's dec- international status has changed, especially in the last year when we have closer relations with some of our neighbors. And this is all very important. Uh, and the, the neighbors around us have close ties with Egypt and Ethiopia and Greece and Turkey and Russia and also China, which is an important economic partner for Israel. So it's it, we live in a difficult part of the world, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, we are actually involved in the great power struggle, whether we like it or not. These are the facts on the ground. Let's hope we survive this with success. I'll be back after the break. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello, 
Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. I want to start off the program this week by saying a few words about the refusal of the Palestinian Authority to stop bankrolling terrorists. Nevertheless, it's worth reiterating in light of the efforts by the administration in Washington Washington in particular, and at the moment a little bit happening in by the government here in Israel to give it a gloss over of what the Palestinian Authority is doing by paying for terrorism. The attempts by Washington to deny the agenda of the Palestinian Authority is aimed at returning to what they call the two-state solution, which is really long gone. To fulfill this goal, the American government assigns moral equivalence to both sides of the Palestinian war against the Jewish state. As the target of the aggression, Jerusalem does not unequivocally embrace such a tactic. However, the current coalition here in Jerusalem has been more open to providing excuses for Palestinian hostility than any of the previous Israeli governments, and that is worrying. It does this by expounding the view that somehow appeasing the Palestinian Authority with its capitals in Ramallah, a few miles from Jerusalem, by espousing the view that it's in Israel's best interest to support the Palestinian Authority. Now, there's no historical evidence of this. The constant need to restate the obvious is really astonishing. Uh, Interesting how there are now uh, Western goodwill gestures to Palestinian statements and the actions that they cause. For example, uh, on December 22nd, a couple months ago, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan visited Ramallah, where he met with Palestinian Authority Chairman Mahmoud Abbas to discuss strengthening the ties that the Palestinian leadership severed with America during the administration of Donald Trump. Now they're trying to renew those ties. Now, as far as Israel's concerned, in December, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz invited Abbas to his home in Rosh Ayan here in Israel to offer a number of confidence-building measures. These included all kinds of economic and political benefits on top of the multi-millions of shekels that he had promised to provide the Palestinian Authority as a loan during his last meeting with Abbas at the end of August. Gantz made a statement after his meeting with Abbas, and he talked about implementing economic and civilian measures and emphasized the importance of deepening security coordination and preventing terror and violence for the well-being of both Israelis and Palestinians, unquote. This is all the while that the Palestinian Authority is paying terrorists who are in jail here in Israel and their families. So the statement by our government minister simply made no sense whatsoever. And then, just three days after this statement was made, 
Abbas held a celebration to mark the 57th anniversary of the launch of a terrorist attack on Israel, which was the attempt to blow up the country's national water carrier back in 1965, which was two and a half years before the Six-Day War and before the, Israel occupied these, these areas. Abbas then, at this uh, celebration, took the opportunity to bash the Jewish state for what he called ethnic cleansing and organized terrorism. He even had the nerve to blame Israel for stifling the Palestinian economy, alluding to Israeli legislation that mimicked the 2018 Taylor Force Act, which is passed by the U.S. Congress and signed into law by Trump. Now, Israel has a similar law that involves the deduction of hundreds of millions of shekels from the taxes on Palestinian imports and exports that Jerusalem collects on behalf of the Palestinian Authority, and the move was intended to coerce the Palestinian Authority to halt its pay-for-slave program which is apparently a system so dear to Abbas's heart that he swore that if they only had a single penny left, it would be paid to families of the martyrs and, prig and prisoners. So there's no wonder the Israel Defense Minister refrained from reacting to the P Palestinian Authority, Mohammed um, um, Abbas, his, his fiery, anti-lie-laden speech. Now, the same thing happened with our own foreign minister, Yair Lapid, uh, who three weeks later, with Palestinian Authority Civil Affairs Commissioner Hussein al-Sheikh, who now handles the office with relations with Israel, one of Abbas's closest advisor, he now fills a seat on the executive committee of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. So um, our uh, foreign minister met with this Palestinian character, and he wrote on Twitter, I met this evening and that we had discussed bilateral issues and I highlighted the needs for a political horizon based on international law. Uh, These are only one of the two parties that holds up international law, despite enemy claims to the contrary. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of our government ministers are trying to make the Palestinian Authority look good, despite their actions. Recently, American Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Abbas about the importance of strengthening the U.S. relationship with the Palestinian Authority, as well as the need to improve quality of life for Palestinians in tangible ways. According to the U.S. State Department spokesman, Blinken and uh, Abbas discussed the challenges facing the Palestinian Authority and the need for reform, with Blinken reiterating that Israelis and Palestinians alike deserve to live safely and securely and enjoy equal measures of security, freedom, and prosperity, 
and reaffirmed the U.S. administration's commitment to the two-state solution, which is kind of, you know, it's really ridiculous. The two-state solution is dead, dead in the water. There's no two ways about it. By the way, in the uh, Abbas's officer's version of the meeting with Blinken, uh, there was no mention of reform, uh, but Abbas told Blinken, according to Palestinian Authority uh, media, that Israel must stop abusing prisoners and withholding taxes. So, uh, so while on the subject of the State Department's quoting Israel and the Palestinian Authority, the State Department spokesman, a guy by the name of Ned Price, did a, did a great job of it during his daily press cup briefing about six weeks ago. He said the following, We support the efforts of the Israeli government and the Palestinian Authority alongside human, alongside human rights act, activists to ensure accountability for human rights violations and, abusion, and abuses. Uh, he, he, this, he said uh, as part of an answer, it's funny, he asked him a question at the news conference about Amnesty's International's report, a report accusing Israel of apartheid. And he said, and we continue to emphasize to Israel and to the Palestinian Authority the need to refrain from unilateral actions that exacerbate tensions. This includes the annexation of territory, settlement activity, demolitions, incitement of violence, and the providing of compensation for individuals imprisoned for acts of terrorism. In other words, the American um, uh, State Department uh, spokesman compared compensation for individuals imprisoned for acts of terrorism with Jewish, Jewish settlement and our homeland. So that that's sort of nice of him for saying that the pay-for-slave program is not nice. However, to compare that with Jewish settlement is really really an indecent uh, thing. So um, it, this is a very serious uh, situation where the United States government and spokesmen compare peaceful Israeli home building and the Palestinian Authority payment uh, of terrorists for killing Jews. It really makes no sense. And, it, and it's, it's this is sort of under the headlines and people don't notice what the American government now is doing under Biden, something which, by the way, did not happen under, uh, under Trump. The, uh, and this is a serious situation. Um, the, uh, the terrorists who continue to terrorize continue to get pay paid with handsome monthly stipends for them and their families. And that is simply shameful and not, cannot be equated to Israeli actions. I'll be back after the break. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say a few words about Arab Israelis. And by Arab Israelis, I mean those Arabs living within Israel who are voting citizens of the state. A lot of positive polls have been published recently suggesting that better Arab-Jewish relations were on the upswing. However, there was a violent Arab riots in Lud and in Ramla and a few other places back in May, and these have been studied and uh, results have been published, and they indicate that there's reason to worry that the progress could not really continue. That is, the relationship of Arab Israelis to the state of Israel itself. The point is that there are some Arab-Israeli radicals, and it's up to Israel to act very rapidly so that the moderates, who I believe are the majority, can win the day. Ostensibly, Arab-Israelis have gradually but inexorably moved to the acceptance and even preference of life in Israel. Recent polls suggest that 71% of Arab Israelis feel that Israel is a good place to live. 68% of Arab Israelis prefer to live in Israel than in any other countries, including the Muslim countries. And 60%, and hopefully they're not, uh, they're telling the truth, 60% even say that they feel Israel to be a home and a homeland. 93% of Arab residents in East Jerusalem who are not Israeli citizens but live under the rule of Israel prefer to live under Israel governance than that of the Palestinian Authority. 93%, that's a huge number. When asked whether they wanted to be transferred to an Arab government in the West Bank, Arabs in the north of Israel, this large Arab community, prefer by 10 to 1 to remain Israeli citizens. And of course, as anybody who studies in an Israeli university knows, and in particular, anybody who lives in Jerusalem, as I do, 
knows they can walk into an Israeli hospital or pharmacy and they see Arab Israelis, including many women, fill professional positions in these institutions. I go several times a week to a drugstore. Most of the people working behind the counter in the prescription section are Arab women. If I go into a coffee shop, many places in Israel, almost all the people behind the counter are Israelis. The, all these statistics and all these facts tell you exactly what Arab Israelis think of the corrupt Palestinian Authority and all these dictatorial Arab states around us versus their opportunities here in Israel. Indeed, the previous Likud and the current Yamina Yesh Atid coalition governments have invested hundreds of millions of shekels to integrate Arabs into the country's high-tech and other profitable sections. The previous government poured 10 billion Israeli shekels into infrastructure, education, and employment in Arab communities in the four years in 2016 to 2020, this year's budget allocates almost 30 billion shekels over five years, along with billions more in initiatives to fight crime and increase access to health care in the Arab community. Now, the problem is that Arab Israelis, and I think it's particularly true in the Negev, in the South, and indeed, all Israelis are paying the price for minority community autonomy, anarchy, and lawlessness, and the lack of government force in the face of these challenges, particularly the criminal challenges. Arab behavior throughout the uh, coronavirus crisis, Arab behavior during the 2021 riots in many mixed cities in Israel, the continuing high, very high crime rate among Arab Israelis, which, by the way, are led by powerful Arab Israeli gangs like the Mafia and radical Islami movements, the continuous aggressive sprawl of Bedouin across the negative and other signs make it clear that Israel can no longer afford the purposeful and self-destructive sectarianism of some very bad Arab-Israeli actors. Uh, Professor Ephraim Karsh, K-A-R-S-H, wrote in the spring issue of Middle East Quarterly that things are trending in the wrong direction. There is growing rejection among Arab Israelis of Israel's Jewish nature and that they are systematically moving to subversion of state sovereignty. He calls this a clear and present danger to Israel's domestic stability and Israel's national security, indeed to the very existence of the Jewish state. That is a very strong comment by the professor. Now, on the face of it, uh, there is participation of an Islamic party, the Ram Party, in the Israeli government, in the coalition. Now, that seems to point in a positive direction. For what conceivably can be a better indication of socio-political integration 
than the inclusion of an Arab party in an Israeli government. But, but according to Professor Karsh, this party is really an anti-Zionist party committed to the substitution of a Muslim theocracy for the state of Israel. For example, the Ram party has no qualms about threatening Israel with a religious war should Jews be allowed to formally play, pray on the Temple Mount, which is Judaism's holy site. So here have a party in the coalition of our government which is threatening Jews if they pray on the Temple Mount. The, uh, according to the professor, and I quote him, reluctant to acknowledge that the, the riots back in May for what they are and what they pretend, the Israeli media, the academic and the intellectual elite, and most of the polit political establishment attribute this volcanic eruption to the supposed discrimination and margin marginalization of the Arab minority. And this evokes the age-old Zionist hope that the vast economic gains attending the Jewish national revival would reconcile the Palestinian Arabs to the idea of Jewish statehood. This self-incriminatory diagnosis not only misconceived, but inverse of the truth. That's a strong statement. If poverty and marginalization were the culprits that make the Arabs in Israel anti-Israel, why did Arab dissidents increase dramatically with the vast improvement in the Arab standard of living in the 1970s and 1980s and now? Why did it escalate into an uprising in 2000 after a decade that saw government allocations to Arab municipalities grow by almost 600% and the number of Arab civil servants nearly treble. And why did it spiral into a far more violent insurrection in 2021 in May, yet another decade of, after another decade of massive government investment in the Arab sector? In other words, after all this investment and after all this improvement, why are there obvious signs that there is a large number of Arabs, particularly the leadership, who are not happy being within the state of Israel, the Jewish state. According to Professor Karsh, Arab Israelis now possess the means and intent to produce large-scale terrorism to disrupt the routine life of Israelis and point to the fact that in a future war, the Israeli army would avoid moving forces and equipment to certain areas of Israel, like the Wadi Ara Highway, for fear that the central transport artery would be blocked by neighboring Arab towns and villages of Israeli Arabs. There are other reports by, by uh, researchers that argue that alongside a desire to benefit from integration economically, there is a deep-rooted ideological consciousness among Arab Israelis that rejects Zionism and the Jewish right to a homeland in Israel. The hardcore Islamic rejectionists have been making headway into radicalizing Arab Israelis. 
Some Bedouin le leaders are literally begging Israeli authorities to crack down on the radical Islamic preachers and Arab criminal gangs that have turned the Negev into the Wild West. You have Bedouin poverty and societal lawlessness, and the government has to do something about it. This is a very severe problem. The bottom line is that it's high time to impose more obligations and responsibilities on the country's minority populations with, while investing in their advancement. Not to punish them, but encourage them to be better citizens. It is a really severe problem. I'll be back after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Be smart. Listen to Israel News Talk Radio in the background while you work and get the latest news and commentary from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. As my regular listeners know, I don't talk about world affairs unless they have something to do with Israel. World affairs you can get from reading other newspapers or listening to television or other uh, international uh, places that uh, provide information. But right now, I want to say a comment about the fact that Israel will probably feel repercussions from any invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, which could happen at any moment. The, the world is now waiting to see whether the Russians will invade Ukraine and it could trigger a war that could involve the United States and engulf much of Europe. And Israel, watching the developments carefully, has maintained a low profile, issuing no public statements and refraining from taking sides, which is what Israel did back in 2008. The um, Back in 2008, uh, Israel was with the pro-Western, pro-American Georgians. A lot of it had to do with the fact that there are 80,000 former Georgian Jews living in, in Israel. But it, we have to take a neutral stance and stop selling offensive weapons uh, as it has done in the past. Now, that was seven years before Russia came to the aid of Syrian President Bashar Assad in Syria, and Russia camped in full force on Israel's back doorstep. However, even then, Israel had a strong interest in not wanting to do anything perceived as gratuitously starting up with Russia. So Israel remains out of the fray, even though 
the Amer the Americans who we supported were behind the Georgians back then, and Israel's policy earned the appreciation of the of the Kremlin back when the Georgia incident. Is apparently Moscow appreciates Israel's balanced handling of the situations and didn't sell offensive weapons to the Georgians back then. The Israel decision not to sell weapons wasn't lost on the Russians, who were at that time in negotiations to sell sophisticated weapons to Syria and Iran. Now, 14 years have passed, and only thing that has changed in the name of the country the Russians may invade. It's no longer Georgia, it's now the Ukraine. The um, so by the way, Israel took a um, a neutral stance uh, several years ago when, when when the Russians moved into Crimea. Today, as was the case in two thousand and eight, there is a strong emotional sentiment here in Israel toward the possible victim of Russia's military action because of a large community of Ukrainian Jews now in Israel because of Israel's close ties with Ukraine, and because it is so heavily backed by the United States and shares Israel's Western values. Israel's relationship with Ukraine, in terms of trade and mutual interests, is much greater than it ever was with Georgia. Although, quite honestly, I don't think that the Ukraine is a particularly a democratic country. At the same time, Israel's interest in not wanting to rankle the Russians is even greater than it was back in 2008 because of their presence in Syria now and because of the complications Moscow could cause for Israel in our region here in the Middle East if the Russians chose to do so. So as much as Israel tried to stay out of the crisis brewing in Eastern Europe, and even if Israel succeeds in staying out of it, the ramifications of what happens there will surely be felt here in Israel. The first place where the fallout will be felt will be with Iran. Regardless of whether the Russians sends their tanks into Ukraine, Iran stands ready to benefit from this crisis. If Russia does trigger a war, this will distract the world from the Iranian nuclear issue and prove a convenient time for the Iranians to move forward to their nuclear program unimpeded by a West that will be preoccupied with what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. The Ukrainian crisis has apparently already eclipsed Iran as the top foreign policy issue in Washington and the Biden administration. Now, uh, they'll be hard-pressed to give the Iranian issue any attention while managing a crisis in Eastern Europe. But if Russia does not start a war, there will be tension generated by this standoff, which simply will not dissipate. Uh, rather, it will be transferred to other areas. For example, in this scenario, the Russians and the Chinese will increasingly view their relation with the United States as a zero-sum gain, 
meaning a loss for America anywhere is a victory for Russia and for China. The Russians may see an Iranian victory over the United States in the nuclear negotiations uh, as a victory for China. Now, that's the downside. The one possible upside of Russia and China backing Iran diplomatically is it could, as it did with former U.S. President Barack Obama's diplomatic overtures to Iran, it could push Israel's newfound Sunni Arab friends, which includes the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Morocco, and as well as Egypt, closer to Israel as the bulwark against the Iranians. In this scenario, the Saudis could even join this mix. In other words, our neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, are scared to death of Iran. And therefore, if Russia and China back Iran, that could push our neighbors closer to us. A similar scenario could emerge if uh, Russia does indeed attack the Ukraine and the Americans do not respond forcefully. This would only reinforce a feeling among many here in the Middle East the, uh, that the U.S. is not a reliable ally. Keep in mind that everybody knows that America withdrew from Afghanistan less than a year ago in a very chaotic manner. So this, knowing this, the weakness of America could serve as a catalyst to bring uh, Israel closer to its Muslim neighbors with whom it already, in the last couple of years, has established relationship. Now, another thing beyond Iran, what's happening in Ukraine also stands to have a strong impact on developments in Syria, our neighbor. In fact, Many believe they already have a Russian announcement of joint patrols with the Russian Air Force and the Syrian Air Force, as well as Russian reconnaissance flights last month near the Golan, are signals that if America makes things difficult for Russia, then Russia can make things very difficult for America's chief Middle East ally, Israel. Such joint patrols will make it much more difficult for Israel to hit Iranian assets inside Syria. So, Russia's moves in Syria, their support of the Syrian government, took place even before Russia moved into the Ukraine and faced any kind of U.S. and Western response. And that means as much as Israel might want, to stay out of any kind of conflict between Russia and its neighbors, the, ver the reverberation of what is happening thousands of miles away may surely be felt here in Israel. And that is a difficult situation. There are American intelligence warnings that Russia could start its campaign at any moment against Ukraine. On the other hand, Ukraine's president, Zelensky, who, by the way, happens to be Jewish, which is kind of odd, he's criticized the panic by Western countries, saying that he's seen no proof that Moscow is planning an invasion. He says this in despite of the fact there are a huge number of Russian troops 
on the border with Ukraine. So the question is, is Russia just holding war games? Is Putin testing U.S. President Biden, or will he indeed invade? And what is his game plan? The uh, You can think of different scenarios, but anything can happen, which is pretty much the basic problem with wars. They are uncontrollable events. They, you know how to start them if you want to. You don't know how they will develop. Cautious leaders try to avoid them because while you know how you get into a war, you can never be sure how you're going to get out of the war. So the Russians want a puppet government in Ukraine, uh, but a lot of people in Ukraine don't want it. The Russians will have a problem if they invade and they get stuck there, just like they did in Afghanistan and just like the United States did in Afghanistan. So as I said at the outset, although I generally don't talk about world affairs, what's happening on the Ukrainian border today can have a very strong effect on Israel. This is Jay Shapiro. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care of yourselves. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India. And I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.